Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast, Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, March 11th, 2022. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and with me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts, allowing us to take advantage of their forward-thinking approach. George Mateo, our Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, our head of equities, and Cindy Honcharenko, senior fixed income portfolio manager. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our key questions article series, addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. So it's been an up and down week, not only with oil prices, the stock market, also with yields. So we'll cover a couple of those topics with our dialogue today. Starting off with what the economic updates were for the week, basically only one topic to discuss, CPI print that came out yesterday, 7.9% year over year up from 7.5% last month, as well as a number of indicators have popped from a month to month increase as well. Main drivers, gas, shelter, food, so on and so forth. Core excluding food and energy up 6.4%. Again, we're talking about numbers that are going back to the early 1980s. So from that perspective, We'll cover inflation with our panel, also talk about Ukraine and Russia, look at the Fed, and also talk about some movements in the stock market. So with that in mind, George, how are your thoughts on what's happening in inflation and the overall economy? Yeah, good morning, Brian. It's been quite an interesting week for sure. Uh, it always seems to be an interesting week. It's one of these times I think we're, we're living right now that um, the pace of change is accelerating almost minute by minute. Um, but I think it's been a pretty interesting week from the perspective that we started this week uh, uh, looking at our, our screens and reacting to some really horrific images. Um, again, the, the crisis in Ukraine is just a terrible, terrible tragedy, and it seems to be getting worse, not better. Uh, and Monday was a particularly grim day, it seemed like. Um, the market also really, I think, had a tough time processing that on, on Monday in the sense that over the weekend, the price of oil shot up to you know well over $100 a barrel, which I think was kind of a threshold that, that people were looking at as, as maybe a sign of risk off. And uh, that certainly um, took the market, I think, back quite a bit. And the market fell pretty hard on, on Monday. But thereafter, it did rally. It seemed like it kind of stabilized a little bit. So I think um, I think there's still a lot of things to be concerned with, with Ukraine. Um, and I'm not trying to um, dismiss the, the trouble, terrible tragedy that it is. But the market now seems to have kind of shifted its focus a little bit away from Ukraine, perhaps, and more focus on, uh, on things here at home. And uh, now we have our Fed meeting coming up next week. As you mentioned, Brian, there's inflation um, that's really out there. And um, I think it's really kind of important to kind of put that into context in terms of where we're in the business cycle as well. But let me just, um, before we talk about inflation, maybe I could pull Steve into the conversation and talk about his reaction to the market um, activity this week. Steve, what do you think of this, uh, this week's market action? Yeah, George, you know, when you look at it, the, the market really has just gone uh, down and sideways for the for the for the most part this week after the, the rough day on Monday. And, you know, the uh, the market has adjusted to the new reality, which is, uh, you know, news flow that on a daily basis from Eastern Europe is is not good. Um, and the economic impacts of the sanctions regime, whether it's on Russia directly or potentially, you know, 
knock-on impacts of, of additional things with, with China or supply chains, what have you, for commodities. Uh, the market's adjusted to this new reality. Um, so I, I think that, that we're going to see as time moves on uh, that the further we get away from the, the date of the invasion, the less important to the market the, the, the news flow out of Ukraine is going to be. I'm sure we're going to continue to see it. I just don't think it's going to be market impacting. And, and really, the focus now is shifting back to what is the Fed going to do about inflation? Um, and given the fact that we're going to have an, an even higher uh, impulse from uh, commodity price inflation or increases uh, on these inflation numbers as we move through the next, say, three to six months for sure, uh, it, it, it behooves the question, you know, is the Fed going to be more aggressive with uh, quantitative tightening and, and with their tightening than, than what maybe they had planned. Um, and given the fact that we look at this uh, commodity price impulse or shock uh, as potentially something that could slow growth, you know, do we get into what, what people would call more of a stagflationary environment? I think that's really what's on the market's mind right now, uh, irrespective of, of the terrible images that we're seeing on our television screens. Yeah, so in terms of the CPI and inflation and the Fed, I think it was really telling that, as you mentioned earlier, Brian, that inflation rose at a year-over-year rate of almost 8%. And my guess is that that number is going to have to come up uh, when we get the next reading for inflation in March. Um, you know, many of these uh, these increase, increases, rather, inflation did not capture the latest spike in oil that I, I referenced earlier. So I would suspect that the next time we, we talk about CPI and inflation, the consumer price index, uh, it'll start with an eight, if not even, you know, mid eights, like eight and a half or something like that. We've been talking about inflation for much of this year and thinking that there were things like um, higher energy prices, of course, that are really front and center, but home prices are also continuing to rise and wages are also going up. In fact, I think I saw something from the Atlanta Fed Reserve that has a wage tracker and it's closing on a 6% year over year increase. So that's pretty hot in terms of uh, wage increases as well. So the thing, again, in the CPI report, though, the Federal Reserve has a target of around 2%. That's kind of their official target or maybe unofficial target for inflation at around 2%. And interestingly, if you look at all the components in that CPI report, about 10% of them, not even quite 10% of the overall components of that report were at or below 2%. So in other words, not only is inflation accelerating, but it's broadening out. And I think that really complicates the job even further for the Fed. So, Cindy, you've been following this very closely as well. What was your uh, your takeaway from the CPI report, and what do you think we're going to hear from the Fed next week? Well, I agree with you, George. It it is officially broad. Uh, it offered no respite uh, from many of the worrying trends that we've all noted. Most centrally, the report just confirmed that the U.S. inflation is taking a more broad-based form, like you mentioned. Median CPI category rose 0.52% month over month. It was just a shade below January's 0.57% month over month. It was in line with expectations, as Brian mentioned, rising to 0.8% on the headline, 0.5% on core prices. Headline CPI inflation picked up 7.9% year over year from 7.5% year over year, while core CPI increased 6.4% from 6%. But if we note, that over the last three months, the annualized headline and core CPI inflation rates are actually faster than their year-over-year -year gains, 8.4% and 6.8% respectively. So short-term trends are even worse than the year-over-year -year trends. 
which doesn't bode very well for expectations of a rapidly slowing toward the Fed's inflation target. Food and energy, George, as you mentioned, those prices surged within the core. Shelter costs uh, picked up. The rent of shelter uh, was up 6%, fastest monthly gain in 18 years. But again, gains were broadly based with prices increasing for recreation, household furnishings, and operations. Vehicle insurance, personal care, and airfares also added to the core CPI gain. All in all, it was expected, but it's another ugly inflation report. So one thing that's important to note, I think, is that if you look at inflation, Cindy, in the context of earnings, right, what people are actually taking home, the the rate of change of people's salaries and wages also increased, but not at the same level of overall inflation. So on an inflation-adjusted basis, people aren't really taking as much of their income home because they've got to spend more on groceries and gas and other things. It's still elevated, but um, you know it's it's somewhat concerning that that trend is flipping a little bit. Do you think there's a case for the Fed to actually raise rates by more than 25 basis points next week? I do. Uh, I actually expect in the near term, term that the surging gasoline prices are going to further shift the CPI, and that's going to really push uh, Jay Powell and the and the FOMC's hand. Uh, right now, the, they're going to move 25 basis points next week. But Powell, in his testimony last week, he, he did put on the table that 50 basis point moves uh, are there. And if inflation doesn't come down, they, they will pull that trigger. And right now I'm seeing on the immediate short end of the curve uh, that we're already pricing in, in some cases, that 50 basis point move, especially in commercial paper. So uh, I think that the May 4th uh, FOMC meeting, we can definitely see the Fed uh, moving 50 basis points. And I think the market is starting to readjust. Uh, As of today, the market's priced in seven solid uh, rate hikes for 2022. Uh, Those are 25 basis points a piece. But again, I think after this report and, and the next, CPI reports coming out aren't going to look any prettier because of uh, the uh, increase in gasoline prices. Uh, that is going to push the Fed's hand. So I'm just curious, though, you know, when you think about this, the Atlanta Fed's GDP now forecast has dropped all the way to 50 basis points for the quarter. And, you know, with this impulse from commodity prices, this kind of shock that we've got to the system, frankly, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if over the next month we saw that GDP now forecast for the first quarter growth fall into negative territory. So negative growth, and then the Fed's gonna be hiking 50 basis points at a time. To me, that just seems like something that is a recipe for for, for problems. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right to kind of start thinking about that. I mean, we, we don't think, or at least a couple months ago, when we talked about our outlook for this year, we didn't think a recession uh, was uh, was the base case, and I still think we can avoid one this year. But the the outlook for next year gets a lot cloudier. Your point, Steve, and so I'm not going to raise the recession risk uh, too high just yet. But I think it's something we have to be mindful of. What what type of sectors or industries do you think are really best positioned uh, in this environment, Steve, from an equity perspective? Well, we're still looking at energy and metals and mining being the primary beneficiaries of what we've seen. 
the real problem that the market has been navigating is that as you move into a period of time where growth looks to be slowing, the typical quote unquote late cycle playbook is to rotate toward quality and growth. But the issue is that quality and growth have been bid up uh, in the last 12 to 18 months as the market rocketed out of the, the post-COVID period. So uh, we have multiple compression occurring in those areas where you would typically see market money rotating in terms of defensive stocks. So uh, that, I think, is part of the parcel of why, why we've had so much uh, churn uh, in the market here. Uh, where you've got leadership and clearly with energy and metals and mining, but but elsewhere, it's been a real struggle for the market to find its footing because things that people would typically be buying, they're not buying because they're under valuation pressure right now. And when you say defensive, what, what kind of sectors or industries are you really most Typically, you're looking at healthcare, you're looking at, uh, at, at more stable uh, tech, uh, you're looking at things like uh, staples, uh, so Staples has had a bid uh, for sure here lately, but but healthcare and and the more stable portions of technology uh, have not been performing as people would expect in a defensive tape whatsoever. Um, in fact, they've been under pressure. So Cindy, back to you for a second. Um, what are you thinking about with respect to the yield curve? We've talked about that from time to time too, where it's getting a little flat. And historically, when you see the difference between short-term and long-term interest rates, Converge. That suggests again that the other uh, recession might start rising. Are we going to yes, see? That? Are, are, uh, we see are we going to see an inverted curve next uh, next week? I hope not. But uh, the yield curve does continue to flatten. The twos, tens, they're hovering around 27, 28 basis points on that spread, and threes, fives are right around four and a half. Uh, that has dipped below four. Uh, late yesterday, after the CPI, and then early this morning. So. We're definitely keeping an eye on, on those. But uh, corporate issuance, uh, that was pretty, you know, we're not seeing anything that would give us cause for concern. Investment grade and high yield spreads are wider, uh, but not showing any type of distress. Corporate balance sheets are very strong. Uh, now, if we do see a slowdown in issuance, that could cause spreads to tighten. Uh, we had five deals priced in on Thursday, and one company sold new bonds uh, last Friday. We didn't have any overnight trades. Uh, we did have $67 billion priced in this week, and we do have five companies that plan on issuing today. Uh, they were in the market yesterday and ended up pulling back. So uh, we could see you know, some more uh, issuance today. I'm glad you brought up the point that the uh, that the corporate the corporate balance sheets are in really great shape. I I think, think that's an understated uh, positive, right? Because I think corporations have really done a great job of, of managing their cash flow, managing their balance sheets, um, you know, and done a great job of, of really kind of providing that level of support when things do get rough. I think consumers' balance sheets are also in, in pretty de decent shape too. I mean, I don't think it's um, maybe it's as uniform as it is in the corporate sector. Right, because I think there are certain differences amongst different income stratas. But I do think that right now the overall excess savings amongst all consumers is something close to two trillion dollars. So again, there's a lot of liquidity and balance sheets on the consumer side are also in pretty good shape, particularly as they've seen rising home prices and up until recently anyway, uh, rising stock prices boost their their savings a, a bit too. But we do have a reopening trade. We haven't talked about COVID in a couple of weeks, but the COVID trends continue to be favorable. 
that suggests that the economy can continue to reopen. Um, housing, again, as we talked about, is booming. And really, I think some of the stimulus that's been put forth up until uh, the last couple of months or so, I think has to take some time for that to really work itself through the economy. So again, there too, even though that the stimulus has started to be pulled back a little bit, it's still uh, in that positive overall. So I think those are things to keep in mind amidst this really challenging backdrop overall. Steve, let's throw the last question to you. Uh, we had a good conversation yesterday. What do you think from a technical perspective in the market? Any closing thoughts that you have with what you're seeing and observations that uh, our audience might want to hear? Yeah, I'd tell you first, the, the clear positive from a technical perspective is that sentiment is extremely negative, as you might expect. Uh, we're, we're over the 90th percentile in terms of sentiment uh, on the negative side, and that is across the board, it doesn't matter which sentiment indicator you use, whether it's survey-based or market-based. Uh, typically, uh, the, the best time uh, to use sentiment in, in its pure form is when you hit 100th percentile. Um, when you're above 90, you really, uh, it tells you things are stretched, but you, you just can't use it in a vacuum uh, because things can, can go worse from price, price dominates. When I take a look at what I'm looking for for an all clear, a couple things. First, we mentioned these credit indicators. I don't like the fact that in investment grade and high yield CDXs continue to move higher. Yes, levels are low, but trend and rate of change is what people and that wear my hat look at. And trend and rate of change are not good for credit right now. Um, and then when I look at the market internals, things like uh, breadth and volume, uh, we've not seen anything that has uh, resembles what we would see an all clear signal. So typically for an ex for example, I'd love to see a, a, a nine to one or 10 to one up volume versus down volume day on the New York Stock Exchange. I'd like to see at least a four to one or five to one uh, advancing versus declining issues day uh, on a, a similar volume day. Um, I'd love to see a huge flush or, or on, a, on a negative, I'd love to see a huge flush which in the market which drove the volatility index uh, to, to 36 or to 40 or 44, uh, uh, which, would, which would signify that, that we had a, a, a washout. You know, so, but we haven't had any of those things. Selling has been too orderly. Participation has just been anemic. So from, from my chair, I, I just think we still have more work to do here before we can say the bottom is in. I think a bottom is in, but we may undercut it yet again. Uh, so I think that here near term, we still have uh, some work to do and, and we need to keep our, our, our helmets on. Yeah, those are really great indicators to watch. The last thing I'll throw out there too, Brian, is that similar to the theme we talked about of being really selective and Steve gave us some great things to watch um, uh, for potential uh, turns or catalysts. The other thing we've talked about uh, once in a while is this, no, this notion of the VIX, this volatility index. And uh, historically, when that reaches a certain threshold in kind of the mid to upper 30s or the 40s, um, you know, that usually is a, a typically a good time to put capital to work. It doesn't mean that the market is bottom to Steve's point. It's a process, not an event. But I do think that's another thing that people can look at as maybe a sign to uh, put some capital to work. Yeah, great, great, great point, George. Thanks, thanks for adding that at the end. So George, Steve, Cindy, thanks as always for providing your insights. We certainly appreciate it. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. And be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. As always, past performance is no guarantee of future results. And we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or advisor for more information. And we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success.
The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are offered by Key Bank National Association, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. Key ba- private bank and key bank institutional advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services LLC or KISS, member FINRA, SIPC, and SEC registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency USA or KIA. KIS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2021.